Water continues to be among the biggest stories of our era, and there are waves of change ahead. So what are the trends and the disruptions we saw in 2018, and what's ahead for 2019 and beyond? I'm J. Carl Ganter with a special edition of Speaking of Water from Circle of Blue. We've brought together some of the best in the business to talk about the most important stories of the past year and to look into the crystal ball for what's ahead. How will shifting priorities affect regulations? And what role will big data and artificial intelligence play in water's future? Circle of Blues senior reporter Brett Walton speaks with Heather Cooley, director of research at the Pacific Institute, and Will Sarney, noted author, strategist, and CEO of Water Foundry. Let's join them for a glimpse into water's present and water's future. Uh, the old saying about environmental stories is that they don't break, they ooze. And that's another way of saying that these are <laughs> slow-moving, deeply rooted stories. Uh, there was a lot of oozing this year, it seemed, and some quite vividly so. Uh, you might think about the red tides on Florida's coasts, or the dusty, nearly dry reservoirs on the Rio Grande, or the lakes and rivers in Michigan that are foaming due to perfluorinated chemicals, also called PFAS for short, that are in the water there. In a year-in piece that's posted on Circle of Blue, I note that the urgency of some of these long-developing stories reached new heights in 2018. Colorado River Basin states are working on a drought plan to prop up Lake Mead and reduce their use of the river. In California, state regulators approved a plan to keep more water in the San Joaquin River system for salmon habitat predominantly, but also for the benefits of downstream towns and farms. And in cities across the country, utilities and homeowners are dealing with perfluorinated chemicals in drinking water. Now, all of these are big contentious issues. They're expensive to address and involve negotiations between competing uses. Many of them will face court challenges. So these, will these are stories that will be uh, not only 2018 stories, but also 2019, 2020, and so on. They will continue to ooze, in other words. So with our panel, uh, I want to discuss some of these trends and stories, and I think we'll start with Heather. Uh, you work on water policy issues in the American West and elsewhere in the country. Uh, what events should we remember from 2018 and why? But I, but I think they, they warrant sort of going into a, a, a bit more. Um, and, you know, as, as you note, <laughs> uh, or, or, uh, or at least is, is, is kind of being shown is that a lot of these are sort of coming, coming to a head right now. This is just an incredibly busy time, um, with respect to water. Um, there's just a lot happening. Uh, so, you know, as, as you mentioned, the, the drought plan, uh, on the Colorado river, that is a, an incredibly important, um, it's not quite over the finish line. Um, but they set a, the federal government set a deadline of the end of January uh, to come to agreement on the drought contingency plan. Um, and, and essentially what that does, there have been shortage guidelines on the Colorado River um, by which uh, the various states would take certain levels of cuts depending, you know, as, as water levels in, in Lake Mead uh, fell. Um, what this new uh, plan would do would... Um, it, it stipulates what would happen with even deeper cuts, uh, and it shares the pain a, a bit more, uh, including to California. Um, California has very senior rights on the Cal on the Colorado River, um, and previously would not would not really take a hit, um, but they have agreed or are looking to agree um, taking it taking a reduction in their use of the Colorado River. So that's a, a really important plan. I think it does um, set the region up for dealing with climate change, frankly. Um, you know, the Colorado River is, uh, basin is entering its 20th year of drought. 
we know that that system is over allocated. Uh, we know that there's likely to be less water available under a future climate uh, or and it will be more variable. And so I do think that this is an important agreement in terms of helping uh, these these states and these communities start to prepare for that for that reality. And just one one bit of background there. Lake Mead and the basin itself is on a 20-year downward trend, basically, in water supply. And the, the goal of this plan is to keep the, the reservoir from crashing to not just low, where it is now at about 38% of capacity, but getting to the point where there wouldn't be any water available at all, right? Right. So they're looking at various strategies to keep water there um, and, to, and, to, and come up with sort of innovative projects. Um, in, in order to avoid some of the, the more drastic measures um, that would be triggered if water levels in Lake Mead drop further. So Lake Mead is one. What, what else are you looking at for, for 2018? I, I think the decision that came in California about putting, allowing more and providing more water for, for salmon uh, and for the ecosystem is a, is a really important one. There, it's known that that system too, too much water was being taken out of it. There are a lot of issues with respect to the delta and flows there. And so the decision by the state water board um, to increase flows in that and, and in so doing then reduce um, the amount of water that can be withdrawn um, by, by major cities, including San Francisco, as well as some agricultural districts, I think is a really important decision as well. It's, it's been a long time coming uh, and there are still a lot of uh, uh, things to be worked out. There are likely to be challenges and court cases associated with it, um, but but it is an important, I think, an important decision. And you know, there may be agreements that are worked out between parties. Um, there will definitely be some agreements, um, and, and again, definitely some lawsuits, et cetera, um, to to really start to flesh that out. So that'll be a story that continues into 2019 and beyond, most likely, right? Yes. Absolutely. So it's Will, let's turn to you. Uh, you work at the intersection of technology, data, and business. Uh, what caught your eye in those areas in 2018? A, a few things. One, uh, and I don't want to start on a negative note, but uh, my take is that uh, corporate water strategy, water stewardship is, is really stalled a bit. And, uh, and maybe not a bit. I, it, it could be bigger. And I'm just being more polite. I think what you're seeing is that Water stewardship as a construct and strategy right now uh, is very much focused on risk. And that's not to say that's uh, not important, but it's very difficult to get companies to invest in water stewardship if it's only a risk discussion. And really what has to happen is to move to a value creation uh, discussion. So why would a company invest in uh, technology innovation, uh, conservation programs, whatever it may be, it's you know ultimately because it has great value for the corporation. Well, and first, we've seen some before you get yeah before you get there. Uh, water stewardship. What what do you mean by that? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's essentially at the heart of the Alliance for Water Stewardship, the CEO Water Mandate, uh, what WWF, WRI, uh, TNCB is pushing, if you will. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but essentially understanding that. Uh, there is a role for the private sector that has to do with their interaction at the watershed level across their value chain. So it's, it's moving companies from water management, which is essentially what do they do within their four walls, to what do they do across their value chain to mitigate 
supply chain risk or risk in product development, selling things to consumers and customers, uh, and also engaging through collective action at the watershed. So you know, that is at a very high level water stewardship. And, and Heather, feel free to jump in and put a fine point on that or correct me, but that's sort of the overarching uh, framework of water stewardship. And what it's missing is that's great for addressing social license to operate, ensuring that there's uh, business continuity, but I believe there's a, a bigger opportunity for companies. And uh, why do you think investing installed? In, why, why do you think it's, it's slowed down? Well, I, I think, you know, what you're not going to do is, is go into a, a CEO or a C-suite and have a conversation about investing in risk because companies are primarily investing in creating value and, and growth. So it, it, it sounds like semantics, but it's really how do you frame water as a strategic resource issue that a company would actually invest in? So might a water strategy by a CPG company create brand value at the enterprise level or at a product level? Uh, might the company in, invest in technology innovation that creates a new revenue stream that solves some of their problems, but also has the ability to create a new revenue stream for them? So uh, there, there are a lot of different things that companies can do in the world of water that build on and mitigating risk. If it's just a risk mitigation play, then what companies are weighing is, well, do I make a $10 million investment in mitigating risk or do I put $10 million in growing my business? And to me, that's really, I think, a missed opportunity in the scheme of things. And it's not to say we should replace, abandon water stewardship. My point is that there's something bigger there uh, that's an opportunity from uh, the business perspective, which is why I believe water stewardship is stalled. And, you know, look at CDP reporting. The last year's report was 2,000 companies invested a little bit under $30 billion in water projects. I mean, take the number with a grain of salt, but it's not a lot of money in the scheme of things. One other note, WWF uh, published a paper around Stockholm World Water Week where they talked about pivoting, reframing water stewardship uh, to go from risk to value. So there are other voices in the world of water that are recognizing that we really need to change or modify, tweak the narrative. Yeah, it's important because a lot of the, the water discussion, a lot of the, the warnings come in the form of this is a, a risky time. We had the IPCC 1.5 degree Celsius report. <laughs> Uh, in the U.S., we had the National Climate Assessment, which had water chapter that was all about risks to water infrastructure uh, going forward uh, in the country. Uh, and so that, that gets to this, my next question, which is about policies. And so a lot of the, the things uh, that involve water are shaped by state and federal policies and laws and how we perceive and how uh, individuals and companies and utilities and industries respond within that frame. Uh, so I'm wondering if there were particular state or federal policies or laws this year that you think are especially important in how and how they address water issues broadly. So I think the public sector evolves very slowly and innovates very slowly. So, you know, sort of hard pressed to, to point any federal or state program that is responding to the 
realities of, uh, you know, last century public policy, uh, you know, over allocate. Heather brought this up, you know, Colorado's over allocated fundamental problem and states agencies are referring to it as, you know, the drought plan. Well, you know, not really a drought plan. You know, there's a fundamental shift in how we need to manage the river because it's over allocated. We have the impacts of climate change uh, and so on. Now, having said that, I'm encouraged by what's going on in California. I think that California has gone from reacting to being uh, proactive and acknowledging that they really need to address some structural issues in terms of how water is managed within the state. So very encouraged by what I'm seeing uh, in the state of California. Uh, Less encouraged by what I'm seeing in the greater Colorado uh, River Basin uh, in the scheme of things, because again, I think there's just uh, baked in resistance to change. Heather, policies that you thought were important this year? Well, I do think there are, there are a few, but I do think it's it's we're not really going far enough. And and I think climate change is sort of the you know the the, the sort of elephant in the room here that we, that we're circling. I mean, and maybe let me talk about a couple of policies and let's then then let's talk about climate change. Um, in terms of policies, uh, you know, in California this year there was passage of an efficiency framework uh, that sets forth targets for urban water utilities, uh, water use targets uh, for 2025 and then 2030. So so it is, I, I think, efforts to advance efficiency as a strategy, both on the climate adaptation and climate mitigation side. I, I think I think that's important. I think it's a good framework, and I think over time it, it'll be tweaked. Um, there has also been some uh, new requirements for looking at drought for small utilities. Um, We know that it's the small utilities that are the most vulnerable to drought, and they're the ones that really haven't had to do as much planning. Most of the planning has been focused on the larger utilities and larger communities. So so I do think that'll be important. Um, But, you know, what what I'm not seeing, to be honest, is a a concerted effort on climate adaptation. I mean, we're seeing this in, you know, we had wildfires in California. Um, just last December was was the Thomas fire, um, and and by January we were having mud flows. Uh, we had the Mendocino complex, uh, which was in a, the July August timeframe, was the largest wildfire on record. Then we had the Camp Fire, <laughs> which became the deadliest and most destructive fire on record. You know, I would expect this year that when you know we're already seeing mud flows and that it's going to get worse. So, you know, and that, this isn't just limited to California uh, or the West. I mean, we saw um, massive flooding in the Carolinas due to Hurricane Florence. So we're starting to see, you know, these very extreme events way outside of what we've seen in the past. Um, I expect we'll see a lot more of that uh, in, in 2019. Um, I'm, what I'm not seeing, though, is a lot on adaptation. You know, the focus has been in some places on mitigation, certainly not at the national level, um, but in some states, you've seen some some great actions and policies around that. But, I, you know, there's very little happening on adaptation, and, and I think that's going to put more uh, infrastructure, it's going to put more communities uh, at risk. Um, and so, you know, my hope is we'll, we'll see more in 2019. Um, I, you know, I'm not optimistic, um, but but we do need to start moving as quickly as possible. Well, that's a good segue to what my next question was, and that was things that we are not seeing in the news or the narratives. What 
um, topics are not getting the attention that perhaps they deserve. Uh, so what is oozing but not yet being noticed? And you know, I'll go first. We've talked a lot about uh, Western water issues of the Colorado River Basin in California. And I think for water in general, the U.S., uh, those regions get a lot of attention because of scarcity. But we're also seeing those problems crop up in the east. I did some reporting on a county in Michigan this year, Michigan's fastest growing county, Ottawa County, which has dry wells and salty water coming up from its wells. Um, so they're finding out there that fresh water on this county on the shores of Lake Michigan uh, is not as abundant as they perhaps thought it was. Mm -hmm. And they're now having to go to groundwater management plans on the shores of the largest, one of the largest freshwater bodies on the planet. Um, so that groundwater scarcity and water scarcity is not just a Western uh, problem in the U.S. Uh, the other I would say is on the, the health side, and we've seen some health concern this year with the PFAS chemicals, um, but also the other health issue that is not getting the attention I think it deserves is Legionnaire's disease, uh, which is caused by Legionella bacteria. It's a pneumonia-like disease, and it's the deadliest waterborne disease in the U.S., spread by inhaling contaminated droplets number of cases continue to rise every year. Uh, there'll be about 8,000 reported cases probably this year to the CDC. And researchers really don't have an exact cause for the increase. There could be better reporting and better diagnostics. It can be aging infrastructure. It can be a more vulnerable population. It can be climate change. So the Legionnaire's disease story is one that is continuing to uh, grow in magnitude. Um, so beyond adaptation, which you mentioned, Heather, are there other undercovered or under the radar stories that people should be focused on? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, questions around access to water, sanitation, and hygiene. Uh, you know, this is a, a something that we think is a, is a problem of developing countries. We, we don't talk about it enough uh, here in the United States, but the reality is we have uh, many systems, frankly, in rural areas that aren't able to provide basic service. Um, and even in some of our large urban areas, there are households that can't afford even basic water and sanitation. Um, I, you know, I think with Flint, there has been uh, some, some attention on it, but I don't think we yet have an, a, a real understanding about the magnitude of the problem. We certainly don't uh, have an understanding about issues around affordability. That, I think, is a very nascent conversation. Um, but one that I expect that as we make the needed repairs in our systems, as we try to adapt to climate change, we're going to see more and more issues around affordability. Uh, you know, it, to, to the list that, that, you know, you previously mentioned Legionnaires, uh, there are now reports of hookworm in Louisiana associated with poor sanitation. Um, you know, we had a hepatitis A outbreak <laughs> uh, here in California um, related to, you know, homeless individuals that didn't have, uh, or those living in homelessness that didn't have uh, access uh, to basic hygiene. Um, so I, I think more and more of those stories, uh, I think, will be coming out. Uh, we absolutely need to be paying attention because we live in one of the wealthiest uh, countries in the world. And the fact that we, you know, can't... <laughs> provide basic water and sanitation service is, is, is a tragedy. All right, so affordability, access, and sanitation. Uh, Will, other topics that were under the radar this year? Well, I agree with both of you. Um, you know, in particular, Heather's point about wash in the U.S. Uh, you know, I think uh, most people view it as an international issue and, and not something that is uh, prevalent here uh, at, at levels that would be shocking. So, 
yeah, just universal access to safe drinking water. Uh, you know, just we're, we're, we're not getting there. And it's a big issue. I think uh, in part, this reflects the failure of centralized systems to deliver uh, safe drinking water to population. Brett, you, you talked about scarcity uh, in a different way. So it, it, it's not about uh, precipitation, access to groundwater or surface water. You know, it can be a, a public policy failure, governance pol- uh, failure that's causing it. Uh, you know, Heather touched on, you know, equity, uh, affordability. I think that's a, a, a critical issue that's not being reported. Uh, but on a positive note, I think there's a lot of really good signs with respect to uh, innovation and, and not just technology innovation. So uh, that I don't think is getting enough attention uh, and we're not framing innovation in a broad enough way. Uh, you know, we tend to think about it as technology and fall in love with technology, but I get really excited about innovation and partnerships uh, that we're seeing, uh, you know, across industry sectors, uh, you know, NGOs, the private sector, really tackling uh, some of these water quantity and quality issues in a, in a very different way. The policy innovation, the lesser known of the, the innovative fields. I want to end with a look <laughs> forward. Um, what stories or trends do you see being prominent in 2019? And are there any dates or events that listeners should be aware of uh, to mark their calendars when they uh, are scheduling for, for 2019? Uh, I will add one while y'all think about it. Uh, one near-term date for something that we discussed already is January 31st. And that is the deadline that the Bureau of Reclamation just gave the Colorado River Basin states to submit their drought plans. Uh, so Reclamation has been waiting for states to develop uh, their own plans about what they're going to do, but uh, has now said if we don't have anything from you guys by January 31st, we're going to uh, to move forward with this. So that is a near-term deadline to pay attention to. In this conversation, we also mentioned uh, access and infrastructure. One of the possible air arenas of compromise in Congress and the federal government could be an infrastructure spending. Uh, so that is something also to pay attention to. Um, so, Heather, any uh, other events or dates that listeners should be aware of? Well, you hit on one of mine, which was uh, around infrastructure. So I, I do think uh, that that is an area we're likely to see conversations. Um, I think, though, we need to be broadening what we mean by infrastructure. It's about both green and gray infrastructure, not just gray infrastructure. So thinking about sort of, uh, you know, what are some innovative strategies we could be doing that will help us adapt to a more variable and uncertain future, um, which which is the reality that, that we'll be dealing with. So that's an important conversation, and it's just important that we frame it um, so that we are having a broader conversation, and, and it's not just about passing, you know, proposals that have been the same proposals for the past 20, 20 years, um, or simply applying, you know, 20, 20th century solutions to 21st century problems. So that's an important conversation. I, I do think, too, the Clean Water Act is going to be a big in the news. Um, there are some uh, proposal the Trump administration has proposed really cutting back on the waters uh, that fall under uh, uh, the Clean Water Act. Um, and while we were just, you know, talking about the need for safe <laughs> drinking water, um, you know, the proposal is to reduce the scope. 
um, so such that a narrower uh, band, you know, uh, uh, there's a narrow scope of the waters that would fall under that. In particular, it, these sort of intermittent streams that are that are common in the western U.S. Uh, would be at particular risk. Um, that will undoubtedly be tied up in lawsuits for at, at least one to two years, if not longer. Um, but but that I think will be an important issue in 2019. All right, and Will, what are you looking for? Sure. So uh, no particular date. Um, from my perspective, uh, two big trends that I think will accelerate uh, digital technology, so data acquisition, analytics, uh, visualization tools, so uh, real-time water quantity and quality monitoring uh, that can be turned into actionable information for consumers, customers, uh, you know, essentially democratizing access to data and information uh, that'll continue to accelerate that ties into you know, what the World Economic Forum is doing around the fourth industrial revolution uh, and then distributed. Uh, and I, I think we're all sort of touching on this notion that we are probably moving away, uh, not probably, but definitely moving away from centralized systems as the only solution. So redefining infrastructure uh, we certainly have the ability to do that through technology. I, I think those are the two big plays for next year that uh, hopefully solve some of the issues that we've talked about. Those are very big areas, a lot to pay attention to. Uh, thank you both, uh, Will Sarney from Water Foundry and Heather Cooley from the Pacific Institute. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. You've been listening to a special year-end edition of Speaking of Water from Circle of Blue. Senior reporter Brett Walton spoke with Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, and with Will Sarney, CEO of Water Foundry. What's the future of water? We want to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or at circleofblue.org. Thanks for tuning in. I'm J. Carl Ganter. <laughs>